Well, I am going to take a risk this morning with you and talk about something that I don't have a lot of experience with. Um, have you ever had to do that, speak in, in a place where you, you're just not really confident about what you have to say? It's a little intimidating, and I, I don't want to sound silly, so I'm going to stick with the basics and keep it really simple. And those of you who have more experience with this than I do can kind of fill in the gaps in your own mind. I am told that shampoo bottles have this instruction written on them, lather, rinse, repeat. Is that true? It's been a while since I've had a reason to pick up a shampoo bottle. Um, the stuff I say, I, I use, I, I buy it in the automotive department, it says apply liberally and buff with a soft cloth. Uh, <laughs> Someone asked me if I disliked being bald. I told them God only made a few perfect heads and he covered the rest of them with hair. Um, lather, rinse, repeat is apparently a rhythm for hair care for those of you with imperfect heads. Uh, we all have rhythms, right? Workplace rhythms, family rhythms. When my kids were littler still, when Cade was really little, we had routines that we could just about not escape, like nap time was on a perfect schedule, and if it was missed, it was chaos. Uh, we all have rhythms and routines. The, the church has built-in rhythms, uh, rhythms of anticipation in Advent, uh, a season of reflection during Lent, the, the pain of Holy Week the joy of Easter, the empowerment of Pentecost, and that rhythm as we go through it and repeat it, it shapes us. It teaches us hope and dependence on God. It teaches us to trust in Him. The rhythm of hair care products, that produces people with good hair. It produces people who buy more hair care products. But the rhythms of the church invite us to experience our faith in intentional and transformational ways throughout the year. This morning, we're going to read from Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 34. And as we do, I want to encourage you to listen to the rhythms that emerge, especially around Jesus' words about planting and harvesting. Gospel according to Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 34. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like, a man scatters seed on the ground, Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripened, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the words to them as much as they could understand. He did not say any to, anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. The Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the first parable, we find a man scattering seed in the ground. And for a while, that's all he does. He scatters and he waits. 
The seeds sprout and grow and mature until they're ready for harvest, but the man doesn't contribute to that part of the process in any way. All he has done is scattered seed and waited. He cannot will the plants to grow. He cannot make it rain. He can't make the sun shine. He can't tell the plants to grow roots or produce fruit. Only one part of this process belongs to him. He scatters the seed. The rest until harvest is a mystery. How does it grow? How does it grow in certain ways? How does it know to to turn up its leaves to face the sun? The man scatters the seed and then he trusts. He trusts in the soil, he trusts in the seed, and he trusts in the God who brings about growth. I pastored a church in Indiana for, for five years, and it always surprised me how much confidence the farmers had in the crops. Their livelihood depended on the harvest. A, a bad harvest could upend their whole lives. It could bring everything out of order. But in flood or drought, in a heat wave or a cold spell, they had learned through years of experience, through many years of going through this planting and harvesting rhythm that the harvest would come. It might not come as expected or when it was expected, but they could rely on it. It would come. Sometimes, sometimes in the fall it would rain and rain and delay the harvest, and they would have to rush to get it all in before the first hard freeze. But after years of practicing this rhythm, scattering the seed, waiting, harvesting, they trusted in the harvest. Our church calendar starts with Advent. That's the beginning of our year before Christmas. And Advent is a season of remembrance, a season of remembering the need that we have for our Savior. It's a season of anticipation of the arrival of our Messiah and the hope that we place in Him. And each year, we are shaped by this Advent season. And as a result, the space between Advent remains filled with the hope that we practice in Advent. Every Sunday, we gather. We pray, we sing, we surrender, we rehearse the ways of God's kingdom, and we are sent as kingdom ambassadors into the world. And so we live faithfully according to our call, but we don't know how the kingdom grows, how it takes shape in our midst. We don't know exactly how hearts are transformed, or how lives are changed, or how transformation takes place. There is mystery in all of this. We just know that we strive together to do our part, to, to scatter the seed. And as we do, we begin to see new life take shape. We see it take shape in us, and we see it take shape in those around us, and so we repeat this rhythm. We return to pray, to sing, to surrender, to rehearse, to send, trusting in the unseen work that God is doing. We don't know how he brings about growth, but we can see that he does. Now, there's something special in this revelation, that the weight of the world does not rest on our shoulders, that rest is good for us. Sabbath is good for us as we remember that everything does not depend on on me, on you, on us. 
we remember, we remember that it doesn't all fall on our shoulders. The growth happens because God wills it to happen, and our responsibility is to scatter, scatter seed, to trust, to harvest. We can't make those seeds grow. We can only wait as they do and trust that whatever the outcome, God is still God. He's the God who provides, and He's the God who redeems. And I really believe that if you allow it to this morning, resting in that truth just might free you of burdens that you were not designed to carry. It might allow you to release control over things that you were not intended to control. But we are such a, a doing society. Maybe one of the hardest parts of this last year has been watching as churches scale everything back. Uh, it, it's been difficult to watch. For some of us, that's, that's been really difficult. For others, it has been much needed rest. God has spoken to us in that time. And we remember, God is victorious in all of this. And we don't need to make his kingdom grow. God does that in mysterious and unseen ways. We participate by scattering seed. When the pandemic hit and the lockdowns took place, some of us started to realize we have been trying to do that work of God ourselves. We've been trying to make the plants grow. We've been trying to do God's job for him instead of entrusting God's work to God and doing what we have been assigned, that work of faithful participation. When the man in the field scatters seed, he's creating opportunity. He's creating possibility. And more and more, I'm coming to recognize that uh, creating opportunity and possibility is a big part of the work of the church. Every Sunday, we create opportunity through worship and, and through song, through prayer, through the reading of God's Word. We create opportunities to say, yes, Lord, yes, Jesus. Uh, but a church and church leaders cannot do the work of growth. We cannot do the work of saying yes to Jesus on behalf of others. So instead, we create opportunity, and we facilitate these opportunities through weekly rhythms. A seed is just encapsulated potential. It may or may not grow a plant. That plant may or may not produce fruit, but we scatter that encapsulated potential anyway, trusting that God will bring about growth. We are a doing society, but there are some things that we cannot do. We cannot make others grow. We cannot control all things. We cannot change the past or know the future. We can only be obedient to Jesus and entrust all things to him. And Jesus tells us that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which he says is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The 600 years before Jesus spoke these words, Ezekiel spoke words very similar to them. Only Ezekiel wasn't speaking about the kingdom of God, but about the great, powerful nation of Assyria. From Ezekiel chapter 31, starting in verse 1, in the 11th year, in the third month, on the first day, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, say to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his hordes, who can be compared with you in majesty? Consider Assyria once a cedar in Lebanon, with beautiful branches overshadowing the forest, it towered on high 
its top above the thick foliage. Jumping to verse 6, all the birds of the sky nested in its boughs. All the animals of the wild under, uh, gave birth under its branches. All the great nations lived in its shade. Jesus' parable about a tree in which birds nest is a reference to the story in Ezekiel. Only Jesus tells it almost as a parody to Ezekiel's story. Assyria was the nation that conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. Ezekiel says they're like a mighty tree imported from Lebanon with huge, strong branches, a symbol of greatness and power and majesty. But the kingdom of God, Jesus says, is like a mustard seed. Not a great, powerful plant like a cedar tree, one which, like the fall of Assyria to Babylon, can nevertheless be chopped down no matter how tall it once stood. No, the kingdom of God, Jesus said, is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like a garden weed. That's what a mustard plant was, was a garden weed. In the southern states, in the United States, there's a vine that threatens to take over everything. It's called a, a kazoo plant, and it is wildly invasive. And once it sets into an area, it does severe damage. It's nearly impossible to get rid of. If kudzu has made its way to your property, home values begin going down. It, it chokes out grass and trees, and it is a nightmare to, to cut back. You can't get rid of it. You just have to keep cutting it back. Uh, it's a terribly invasive plant, and it chokes out everything around it and requires constant maintenance. If Jesus was telling this parable today in the United States, I think he might refer to kudzu rather than the mustard seed. It isn't a symbol of strength and power like the cedar. It's a symbol of pervasiveness. It does not need to be specially imported by professionals. It pops up in unanticipated places, in every backyard, and there's there's no way to get rid of it. And though it might be resisted, if it takes over a field, there's no reclaiming it. When we talk about the kingdom of God, we are talking about earth taking the shape of heaven. We're talking about the earth finally submitting to the rule and reign of God. And what Jesus says in this parable is that the reign of God does not need to be imported from Lebanon or from another faraway location. It's found in every yard and field and backyard. It's not mighty in power or impressive in strength. It's unpretentious and yet wildly uncontrollable, erupting out of the faith of people who were considered unimportant by this world's standards. And the world can fight it off, but it doesn't die out. We can resist it, but it doesn't go away. It always springs back up again. It's unwelcome in many of the places that the world would prefer to keep under its own control, but it's persistent and present nevertheless. In the eyes of the world that knows only power and self-importance and control, the kingdom of God is a weed that it cannot be rid of. Did you see that one coming? Jesus says, my kingdom is like a weed. A weed? No, Lord, your kingdom is like a redwood. It's like the tallest of trees. It's like a lignum tree, the hardest of hardwoods. It's like an imported cedar, impressive and remarkable to all who see it. Your kingdom is surely not like a weed, right? A mustard seed, a persistent, invasive, uncontrollable weed. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Where is the kingdom of God to be found? With what kind of power is it established? From where does it come? From 
whom does it come? Who stands to gain from its coming? Whose power is threatened by its coming? It shouldn't surprise us that Jesus compares his kingdom to a weed. He's the same guy, after all, who proclaims blessing upon the weak, the vulnerable, the meek, the least of these. He hung out with sinners while stepping on toes of the elite. Of course, the kingdom of God is like a weed when, according to Jesus, the meek inherit the earth. The kingdom of God, says Jesus, is like a man who scatters seed on the ground, lets go of any illusion of control and surrenders to the mystery of its growth. The kingdom of God, says Jesus, is like a weed that overtakes a field. It can be resisted, but it springs forth in unexpected new places again and again and again. And at the end of the story, God wins. The realities of heaven, they become the realities of earth. We can resist it with absolute futility, or we can let go and rest in it. Doesn't that put all of our struggles into perspective? The growth that we desire, God brings that. The kingdom that we hope for, God brings that to the brokenness of the world. It does not defeat it. Our efforts, no matter how well-intentioned, do not make it grow. It's God's, all of it. And we, we are invited to participate, to scatter the seed and to harvest. But it all belongs to God. We cannot make it grow. I don't know about you, but sometimes I cling tightly to things that I need to let go of and to give over to God. I close my fist around things that I feel responsible for, things that I care deeply about, instead of turning up my palms in worship to the one who is victorious anyway and entering into God's rest instead of carrying burdens I was not meant to carry. One of the rhythms that we are invited to know is a rhythm of rest, a rhythm of Sabbath, trusting God to be God and allowing space in our lives to be with Him, to know our place in Him. It's letting go of the control we think we need to have over situations or people and entrusting God with those things. So this morning, I want to invite us to do one of the most difficult things that we do. I want to invite us to stop, to, to loosen our grip completely, and to entrust God with all of our burdens, which we have carried with tight fists, and to enter instead into the rhythms of letting go instead of holding on, trusting God rather than trusting ourselves, scattering waiting and harvesting, trusting God in the wait. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, we, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to enter into your stillness. The silence of this space as we listen for the sound of your voice. Father, there are burdens that we have carried, control that we have sought after,
we have done so in defiance of your good grace, of your love, of your magnificent provision. We have done so at the expense of our trust in you. And so we pause this morning, Lord, and we unclench those fists that have been so tightly wrapped around those things that, that we have tried to control. And we turn up open palms to you. Rather than control, Father, we, we entrust you. Rather than providing for ourselves our own ways, we receive from the depths of, of your love, your magnificent provision. And we pray, Father, that silence would become a part of the rhythm that we practice. The entering into your presence the waiting for the sound of your voice. The trust where we would otherwise attempt to control. Father, we pray that we would make a habit not only of pouring ourselves out to you, but of listening to the sound of your voice. Because it's your voice that assures us, I've got this. You don't have to control. The harvest will come, my will will be done. And we thank you, Father, for the freedom that we find in trusting in you. We praise you together, Father. Amen.